Okay, so there we go. This week is our 13th week, believe it or not, of reading and teaching in our series, The Story. You know, I've really enjoyed the story so far. Um, it's been quite a journey, and we're exploring the big picture of God's message to us. The story is taking us through the Bible in 31 weeks from Genesis right through to Revelation. You know, it's not the entire Bible, but it's a selection of scriptures that come in chronological order, and that's what I'm loving. It helps us to draw out the big picture of God's love story for us. You know, this love story started right back in Genesis with God creating us in his image with value and with purpose because we were created to be in relationship with him. We've then read how humans broke that perfect love relationship. And then since then, we've been following the, God, the story of God's redemption, the continuing story of a God whose plan it is to make a way for us to come back. So God called the nation of Israel and he taught them how to live in relationship with him. And we've been following their story, a nation that's called to be a blessing to all other nations. Now, ultimately, they're going to lead us to Jesus. And he's the one that finally restores that perfect love relationship. But that's a bit of a spoiler for the weeks to come. So you're just going to wait for that one. In the meantime, we're reading through the Old Testament. And I'm loving it. As we go through the Old Testament history, we see parallels. We've seen a parallel between the redemption of Israel and our own salvation. We've seen God at work in the Old Testament in ways that we can really relate to in our world today. And we've been challenged to consider how we live as Christians in this world as we look at how God worked through and in the nation of Israel. So over the last two weeks, Pastor Nathan has brought us messages about King David, who was a man after God's own heart. And a key message that we've learned from King David is that God is more interested in who we are than in what we do. And even when we do the wrong thing, if we're truly repentant, he makes that way for restoration. God really is looking for that deep relationship with us. So this week, we're moving on to David's son Solomon, who became king after David. <coughs> Solomon was called by God to take on a huge job. He had to lead the kingdom of Israel and he had to build the temple. But, you know, once again, what we're going to see is that God is more interested in who we are and in our heart than in the skills that we bring. Okay, so I want you to think about a time when there was something in life that you knew that you had to do and you just knew that you didn't have a clue how to do it. Think about how that felt. Doesn't feel so good, does it? So I've had many of those moments over the years, and I was thinking about a few of those when we we're looking into this sermon, and um, one that really sticks in my mind is from quite a few years ago, uh, there were three of us. We were all 20-somethings, and we were on a road trip from Toowoomba to St George to visit friends. So... We're a few hours into the trip. Just imagine it, three 20-something girls on a road trip. It was a blast. We were having a great time. There was music. There was laughter. We were joking. We were talking. It was great. And then suddenly, in the middle of nowhere, flat tyre. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. No big deal. Just change the tyre and get on your way. Okay, so here's the thing. It was my car. 
And I had no idea at all about how to change a tyre. That was not part of my university degree. <laughs> and apparently it wasn't for either of my friends either. So, we open up the hatch, we're taking all of our gear out and loading it beside the road, and as you can imagine, three women, fair bit of gear. We open up the back, and sure enough, there was a spare wheel. There was a jack, but none of us knew how to use it. But what there wasn't is there was nothing in there to actually loosen the wheel nuts. Okay, so we were stuck and we were frustrated. You know, we knew we had a job to do. We had to change that tyre. But not one of us had either the knowledge, the skills, or the tools to get the job done. So, not having the right tools or skills to complete a task that you know you've got to do is really uncomfortable. And it can stretch us because we know that we just can't do it on our own. So this was a fun story in hindsight because a lovely local came to the aid of the three damsels in distress and we got to St George eventually. But the truth of the story is that we really don't like to find ourselves in a position where we know that we can't do the job at hand. And yet, I don't know about you, but I know that for myself, in my Christian walk, that's where I find myself time and time again. I know that God's prompting me. I know that he's calling me to do something. But I also know that I just don't naturally have what it takes to do what he's asking of me. You know, we're all called primarily to follow Christ. That's our main calling in life. But then God also gives us jobs to do. There's things that he asks us to do. And they can be small or they can be huge. But in my experience, they almost always result in faith being stretched. And that can be really uncomfortable. So my question today is how do we deal with the discomfort of God's call? And I have a few suggestions. The first one is that we ignore it. We just pretend we didn't hear. My second suggestion is that we can argue with God and tell him he's wrong. He's got the wrong person. I'm not the person for that job. Um, just going to put my hand up. I've tried that one. Um, we can run away from the call. We can make ourselves so busy that we couldn't possibly take on that job or do that thing that God's asking of us. Four, we can try to do it in our own strength. Guilty. Didn't work out so well. Or there's another option. We can trust that God knows what he's doing. We can spend time with him. We seek his will. We actually thank him for the opportunity to serve. Admit that we need his help and take a step of faith. So Solomon was a young man with a big job to do. What we're going to do is we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 4 to 12 and find out what Solomon did when he was faced with the immense calling to lead the kingdom of Israel. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, 
You have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So Solomon was king. And it was quite a journey to get to the throne. I mean, talk about your dysfunctional families. I mean, really, I'm not going to go into that in depth, but I would really encourage you to have a look, read through the first couple of chapters of 1 Kings, just to get a feel of the intrigue and the deception within David's family at that time. But the outcome is that Solomon is crowned, as David has been promised by God. It's unclear just how old Solomon was when he came to the throne. But his comment that he is a little child is most likely a reference to his relative youth and inexperience in government. What is clear when we read this passage is that he recognised the enormity of the task ahead of him, which was the result of God's call on his life. And he was aware that he didn't have the tools or the skills that he needed to get the job done. But rather than ignoring, arguing, running, or trying to do it on his own, he chose to put his time and effort into his relationship with his God, trusting that if God had called him, then God wanted him to succeed. What Solomon seemed to understand, at least at this stage of his life, is that a call to serve God is a call to relationship with God. So what I want to do this morning is take a look at this episode in Solomon's life and see what we can learn about what our response to God can be when we feel him calling us to do something that takes us out of our depths. The first thing that I see in this encounter between Solomon and God is that God wants us to succeed. That's my first point today. God really wants us to succeed when he calls us. Solomon asked God for what he needed, wisdom to govern the nation. We're going to have a look at verse 12 again and see what God said. He said, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart there so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. God was pleased and ready to grant Solomon's request. Why? Because it meant that Solomon would be successful in leading God's people and doing the work that he was called to do. And, you know, there's plenty of evidence in Scripture, and if you've read the story this week, you've seen all the evidence there that God did indeed grant this request. All of the Proverbs and, and all of that wisdom literature that came from Solomon is amazing. And actually, in 1 Kings 10, when Solomon is visited by the Queen of Sheba, the author notes that there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. I want to think, though... Was Solomon alone in the Old Testament in thinking that he didn't really have it all together? And I'm going to say no. You know, there's so many examples in the Old Testament of giants of the faith who seemed concerned or, 
you know, expressed reluctant, reluctance about their, their calling. I mean, think about Moses. I mean, Moses literally begged God to send somebody else to lead the Israelites. And then there was Gideon. I mean, Gideon tested God not once, but twice. And then think about Esther. Now, Esther was a simple Hebrew woman who had the opportunity to save her people. But she had to find the courage and the strength to do what needed to be done outside of herself. She didn't have that naturally. And yet, in all of these cases, God came through and gave his children the tools that they needed to get the job done. You see, I, I truly believe, I really do, that when God calls us, he wants us to succeed. You know, he doesn't call us to make us feel bad or inadequate. He doesn't call us so that we can have the joy of experiencing failure. He calls us to stretch our faith. He calls us to help us to learn to trust in him and in his plan for us. And you know something? He also calls us because it makes a difference to his kingdom. We see this principle in the New Testament also. We're going to read from Mark 6. It says, Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with oil. Jesus wanted the disciples to succeed in their mission, so he equipped them with both the teaching and the tools that they needed as he sent them out. And, you know, their success brought glory to God and brought people into the kingdom. One of the really big calls we have on our lives as Christians is the Great Commission. And what does Jesus promise us when he gives us that job to do? His promise is that he is with us always as we go about his work. In other words, he will enable and equip us as we serve. John 15.8 says this, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Our success points to the Father. It's his will for us to do well in the things he asks us to do. God really does want us to succeed. And you know, the really good thing is, we know from Scripture that he gives us the gifts we need to enable us to serve. Paul talks about these gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, There are different kinds of spiritual gift, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. I think Paul here makes a clear link between the gifts we are given and our acts of service. These gifts are given for the benefit of the church and service to others. He goes on to explain how we all have to be working together, using our various gifts in unity, if we are to operate effectively as the body of Christ. God gives us these gifts not for our own benefit, but to benefit others. Okay, so I started thinking, okay, what's a personal application for this? So I started to think about different gifts that I've seen God give me to enable me in different times um, when I've been doing things for him. And there are a few that I could point to, but there's one that I've seen in the last 18 months that I think is kind of cool, also tells me that God's got a really good sense of humour. Um, so one thing you need to know about me is that I am not good with names. Like, I'm really not good with names. I have been known to have a conversation with a new person or a couple for 10, 15 minutes, having a great chat. I'll walk away, 
and that name's gone. Like, gone. Um, so it can be really awkward when I have two people in front of me that I have to introduce to each other. And I can't remember either name. That's not good. Okay, so here's where it gets funny. At the beginning of last year, I was called into the role of Connections Ministry Director here at Hills Church. And a fairly substantial part of that job is to welcome and to connect people in the church, in particular, new people. Now, many of you will be able to attest to the fact that I'm still not perfect at this, and I really apologise to you when I have to continue to ask for your name. However, overall, I have been stunned week in and week out at how often the names of our guests and new families are coming to me. And sometimes I reckon they can just about see the light bulb go on because it's like a flash of inspiration from the Lord as they're walking towards me. This isn't natural for me, but it's really important for the role that God's called me to. And I'm just so grateful that the Holy Spirit is working with me each and every week to help me in this area. You know, I really want to do this job well, but I can't do it on my own. Just like Solomon, when God calls us to serve him, he wants us to succeed, and he's ready to give us the tools that we need to get the job done. But is it really as easy as that? Will God just give us gifts like some kind of, I don't know, benevolent fairy godmother? There's something that I see in the story of Solomon that I think is really important to note. We need to acknowledge that we need God to provide, that we're not able, but he is. Let's go back. We're going to have a look at how Solomon's request was made. We're reading now from verses 7 to 9. He said, Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And it was in response to this that the author notes that God was pleased and gave Solomon the gifts that he needed. So my second point this morning is this. When we submit our weakness to God, we allow God to give us strength. You know, this section of the story gives us a clear indication that Solomon felt inadequate to fulfill the task that God had given him to do. He recognised that he didn't have all the tools he needed to succeed, and he was aware that his ability to govern had to come from God. We also see Solomon acknowledging that it's by God's grace that he's been asked to serve, and he's submitting to God as both his king and his provider. So listen to what he says. He says, you have made your servant king. So give your servant a discerning heart. So in response to Solomon's submission and humility, God acted on his behalf. In the same way, when we're called to serve, however we feel, we need to submit to God as our king, trust him, and recognise that he is our provider. I think Paul really understood this when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 12. He said... But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, said Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, if we get stuck in our fears and feelings, we may get in the way of God's plan. It's important to recognise that in the big picture, God is so much bigger than our weakness. When we submit these things to him, we allow God to give us strength. And then Christ's light can shine through us. So how do we do this? Once we've understood that God wants to use us and will give us what we need, how do we put aside our own feelings and allow God to use us as his vessel? And I believe it's by shifting our focus from the task or problem and centering it back on Jesus. So the third point that I see in this passage about Solomon is that our relationship with God has to be our priority. You know, before God invited Solomon to ask for anything he wanted, Solomon had worshipped lavishly and demonstrated his abundant devotion to God. Let's just have a quick look at how that happened in verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Okay, so if you're like me, the question needs to be asked, why did this act draw such an incredible offer from God? I mean, he said, ask for anything you want after this sacrifice. Sacrificing burnt offerings doesn't really, today, translate very well into worship and relationship with God. I mean, does it? But under Mosaic law, the burnt offering was made for thanksgiving and atonement. The verse says that Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings. I mean, this was a national act of worship. This was Solomon making sure that God was at the very centre of the nation of Israel at that time. It would have taken some time, most likely several days, and it would have been at that time recognised as a lavish outpouring of devotion and love to God. And as a result of his sacrifice, his devotion, his submission and his obedience, God poured out his blessings on Solomon. Now, our relationship to God and our devotion to him is expressed differently today. I mean, thankfully, because of Christ, we're no longer under the old law that requires atoning sacrifice. He's made that sacrifice for us once and for all. However, we are still called to show our love to, for God through submission and obedience. Jesus in John 14, 15 says this, If you love me, keep my commands. He calls us to obedience. Our obedience to God's perfect law of love is deepened as we spend time in prayer, worship, thanksgiving, fasting even, reading the word, meditating on the word, and times that we just sit at his feet. These things all grow our relationship with God and our expressions of our devotion. These things grow our desire to serve. But if we're called to serve, they must be fundamental in our lives because it's out of our relationship with God that comes our willingness to surrender and to allow him to shine. Jesus really clearly demonstrated this during his ministry. In Luke 5.16, it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. 
He made sure that he was regularly being fed and nurtured by the Father because he knew that it was only through his relationship with God and what he poured into him that he could minister. He was humble and he was fully submitted to God's will for him. And you know, if that was so important for Jesus, how much more important is it for us today? I was reading a chapter in a book from Asbury Seminary and the book was called Exploring the Call. The author was writing about an encounter that a colleague of his had had with a gentleman called Samuel Logan Brengel. Had to slow down over that one because I tend to get tripped up by it. Um, Brengel was a renowned leader of the Salvation Army in the early 20th century. And he made this comment. He said that he had only one great temptation in his many years of successful service. And he went on to say that he'd learned that winning the battle with this temptation seemed to make everything else in life and ministry work well. But losing the battle here left him floundering. When he was asked what that temptation was, he replied, it is the temptation to want to do something for God each day before I've spent time with him. A call to serve is a call to relationship. You know, Solomon had a problem. He had a fairly big problem. He had a nation to lead, a temple to build, and no experience. However, he recognised that the position he was in was a gift from God, and his heart was to follow the Lord. He prioritised worship and time with God, presenting himself in submission to his king, and in his humility, he allowed God to show his strength and he received the tools that he needed to get the job done. We're all called. We're all called to do something for God. And if God is calling you, he wants you to succeed. And he will equip you. But here's the thing I want you to take away today. He wants you first. We're called to relationship. He's looking for our humility, our devotion, our desire to follow and submit to him. That's all he needs to use us. And he wants us to succeed in what he's called us to do because it matters to the kingdom. So what is God calling you to do? It might be a relatively small thing, like going and asking somebody for forgiveness. Or it might be something that's a fair bit bigger than that, like a, a complete change of direction in your life. But big or small... The things that God asks you to do are going to stretch you in some way. Trust me, it stretches you. But the question is, as you think about the things that God's asking of you, are you prioritising your relationship with him? Are you ready to step out in faith, knowing that he is with you? Can you bring your weaknesses to him and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you and provide you with the tools that you need? When God calls you, he will equip you. That's his job. Your job is to walk in relationship and obedience to him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that um, your word is alive and it speaks to us. And we thank you that as we look at the life of Solomon, we see you working in his life and we see the way that you provided him with what he needs. Father, we thank you, though, that above all else, you want us. 
that we are more important to you than what we can do for you. But you know, Lord, our heart is to serve you. Our heart is to be your hands and feet. So help us to trust that when you call, you will lead and you will give us everything we need. Holy Spirit, take us deeper in our faith and help us to step out into the calling that the Father has on our lives. We just pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.